0: Hey Church of the Beloved, thanks for tuning in to our weekly sermon podcast. My name is Kevin Zoe and I'm the production manager here at COTV. Today's message is brought to us by Senior Pastor Clint Shamblin. is preaching from 1 John chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. Uh, I am Clint. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm glad to be with you this morning. We get to transition into a new sermon series, uh, and we're very excited to do that. We're excited to go through First uh, John together. And actually, before we do, uh, we have a video to show you. Uh, we do not have a video to show you. That was a lie. I just lied to you um, about First John. So let me explain First John to you in that case. First John is a great book uh, that is written by the gospel writer of John. He is an elderly man at this point in his life, and he is coming to what might be called his final letters to a church that he has loved and had dear, dear relationships with. In this letter, we're going to come to find out what joy is. That's the topic of today's sermon. How do we have joy? What is knowing? What's the word? What's this son of man that Christ refers himself as? What is the light and the darkness? Uh, And finally, uh, how do we deal with false teaching? How do we deal with heresy? How do we keep orthodoxy good and sincere in our circumstances, in our culture? It's a fantastic book. We're going to be slowly working ourselves through it. We're going to be doing part one up until Advent. We're going to come back with part two in January after we go through Advent. And after we go through a couple of, of series, a, a short little series, on difficulties within Scripture, difficulties within Christianity. Um, and we might uh, talk about some some hot-button issues. I I don't know what else to call them, uh, but difficulties within Christianity that the Bible stipulates for us, and maybe we haven't seen the demands of Scripture quite yet. And then we'll come back, and we'll continue on with that. But today, I want to talk to you about joy. I want to talk to you about what is joy, how do we have joy, and how do we see it? Uh, As a pastor, I'm asked continually. Uh, People come up to me uh, and and y'all don't do this flat out. I wish y'all did do this just flat out. I wish y'all just came to me and said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a story of something that I did. I need you to tell me that it was okay. I, I wish y'all did that. But instead, it's kind of veiled. It's like, well, yeah, it was an interesting week. I did this thing. And then you kind of lean in a little bit. And you kind of give me the eye. And when I don't respond with, oh, that sounds great, you kind of keep leaning in with the eye tell me what I did was okay, tell me what I did was fine, tell me this thought on Scripture is okay. Because if I understand our depravity, our plight as humans, uh, we are all desperately dying and seeking affirmation all across the board. As a pastor, some people will come and they'll tell me, they'll, they'll share a story, or they'll share a thought within Scripture or they'll tell me some, some chronicles of their past or what they hope to in the future accomplish. And what they're looking for is this well-done, good, and faithful servant, as Scripture tells us. That's what we're all looking for. We're all hoping to hear, yes, you're good, what you think of the Bible, what you think of God. God looks favorably upon you. The reality is we are looking for this long exhale, this ah contentment satisfaction, assurance. It's what we're dying to see, dying to get. And the Bible calls this long exhale. The Bible calls this long hope, joy. And actually how scripture defines joy is far different than you and I. May define contentment, may define happiness is another word. Uh, do you know the Bible never calls you to be happy? The Bible calls you to be joyful. Joyful. We seek happiness all day long. The Bible doesn't call us to be happy. It calls us to be joyful, which is so much better than happiness. And this relief, this joy, is what you and I fight time and time against because, and and here I have to set this up to really get into John, because you and I have a default position in our human heart. Our default position is called works righteousness. Here's what this means. You and I believe that we can be good based upon our actions, our thoughts, our performance, or what we do. It's called works righteousness. We just got done with Leviticus, and Leviticus says, here is the law. Do all of them, and you will be called good. And it actually says, by doing the law, you know that you are good. Not that doing the law makes you good, but you confirm in your soul, I love God, God loves me. How do I know? Look at, the, look at, look at how what I'm doing for him. Look at, look at how he's changed me. Works righteousness says, I am only good based upon what I think, do, and perform. Uh, Many of you might have a boss that's like this, a supervisor that's like this, right? Nothing's ever good enough, ever good enough. Except maybe every once in a while, you do something that's incredible, you do something that's so good, and you get a, hey, great job. You're like, oh, thank goodness, I got the good job. I I got the well done. And you go home that day feeling really good about yourselves. Because works righteousness says this, and here's what's wild, and here's what I want to encourage you with, and I want you to wear this as you hear this sermon on John and how joy is made. You and I cannot deal with this fact. We work and strive to be called good to achieve good, because you and I cannot live with the fact that we know, we know, that we know we aren't good. We know, we know, we know that we aren't great and aren't good and aren't fantastic. And anybody who says otherwise has some self-deception going on. We know we're bad and not good, but we can't live with that. It's unresolved tension that cannot exist within our souls. We'll be crushed by that. So what we do is we go out and we try to find ways in which the world to confirm that we are good. I know I'm not good, but I need to be good. So we go out and we seek it in all sorts of different fashions, in all sorts of different ways. Uh, I'm not a big Marvel fan, uh, which I know is just adding to the list of things that is like horrible against me. (laughs) I don't understand what Blackpink is. I don't like ice cream. I've barely seen Marvel movies. I'm no fun. Just like that should be the title, okay? I'm just no fun. I get that. But if you understand Marvel movies, if you ever understand how superhero movies started off with, there's been a huge change throughout the probably 20 years that they've really, really been a, a big thing for us. It used to be that we wanted our superheroes to be these absolute pristine heroes. These things that had no corruption. These people that were godlike. And what happened is throughout the years, we realized we're like, these people can't be role models for us because I'm not, I'm corruptible. They're incorruptible. I'm not a God. They are godlike. And so what we created was the anti-hero, the hero that's got a little edge to him, the hero that has Ryan Reynolds playing some crass person all day long. We go, yes, that's my hero. I can relate to that guy. So we made the anti-hero because we said to ourselves, I know I'm not good, and I'm seeing something that is good, and it crushes me. So what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to make the anti-hero so I can relate to them because they're faulty, they're, they're broken, they're they're human just like me. And see, that subtle shift that happened, that took place from, from uber incredible person to anti-hero that I can relate with that's still the, the main character in the movie. What happened is that subtle shift is actually a big, big shift in our thinking within our culture. See, we are now in a period called late modernity, we came out of modernity. And and let me give you a quick synopsis of what those two mean. And I promise this has connection to the John series. We used to think that truth was out there to be found. Uh, If you're a Trekkie fan, any Trekkie fans out here? Yes, fantastic. Um, I knew you would be. (laughs) Like, I I could have bet all (laughs) all my money that you would have been a Trekkie fan, that's fantastic. I'm not, but I understand a little bit about it, that there's this universe out there to be experienced. There's, this, there's, to in, there's all this infinity of space, and we're out there to, to seek, to go where no man has gone before and adventure in frontier, and come back with truth. That's modernity. Modernity says there's truth out there. I need to go find it. I need to go get it. I need to go obtain it and bring it back. Uh, we no longer live in that reality. Because now, that's the truth that says, Superman's an attainable thing. He is incorruptible. He is great. He is glorious. And he has came down to earth to give us hope. And, and gosh, the guy's perfect. Gosh, the guy looks great in a suit. And, and he has this flawless cape. And he just, he, he never sins. He never cusses. He's always serving people. And instead, of what we did is we changed it. We look at them and we go, oh my gosh, I'm not good. I can't be good. I can't relate to that. So in late modernity, what we did is we went anti-hero. We went, we went to the places where we said, truth is not something to be found, but rather, truth is what I make it. My truth. Have you heard the phrase, well, what's your truth? And I, people ask me, what's your truth? And I go, I, I have no idea how to answer that. I, I have no concept, not because I want to fight, but because I say, well, what are we talking about? What are we discussing? How do I even know what my truth is? How do I know what your truth is? It's an, it's an escape, it's a squishy thing that we try to hold on to and it keeps on slipping from our grasp. Now, let me give you a couple of, of real life examples besides superheroes. The Victorian era used to be this era in which people presented themselves as this sexually pure, sexually without reproach. We don't, we don't even talk about that. We... we Y'all know why we have buttons on different sides for male and female? Oh, fantastic. Buttons are on different sides because you were supposed to walk in a certain style. Men and women had sides to walk on. And the women's blouses had buttons on one side so the flap could not open to the male on the other side who could sneak a peek into their blouse. And that's why we have fashion different. Crazy, right? And we look at that and we say, this is a Victorian. We are, we are, we are pure. We are above reproach. We must not have a hint of it. And, and everything's, everything's like that. Conversely, that's, that's modernity. Truth is out there. We must go seek it. Late modernity says, I can't live up to that. Because what happened in Victoria era is instead of presenting ourselves as creatures that might have blemish, might have stain, what we said is we'll hide it. We'll go to galas with, with eyewear on so that nobody can see who we are. I will, I will say how horrible, horrible sexual uh, mistresses are while having mistresses. This is what we did. This is, this is modernity. I know a truth, but I can't live within the truth, so I'll hide myself. Now we go, there's no truth. I don't want to hide. So you know what? I'm going to redefine purity as whatever I want it to be. So here's my truth. Here's who I am. I'm going to express myself. Late modernity. No truth, but my truth. And the reality is both are wrong and both are right. Right? Both are wrong and both are right, and John confirms it. And I want to show you how you cannot, you must not, allow your happiness, your joy, to be contingent on two things. One, a truth that you discover. You can't have your hope on that. Two, you can't have your hope, your joy, be on something that you make truth about. Rather, Joy needs to be something, it must be something, that comes by knowing what Christ reveals. Modernity says, go find truth. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Be strong and courageous. It won't happen. It won't happen. Very famous passage within the Bible is the Tower of Babel. Do you know why the Tower of Babel is in Scripture? Do you know why it's so important for us to understand the Tower of Babel? Because humans thought, I can ascend to God. I can reach to God. I can get to God. And God said, no, you can't. You can build your towers as high as you want. You can build your skyscrapers as high as you want. You'll never ascend to me because I'm so much higher than you. So the Tower of Babel is to show us all our ingenuity and all our might, all of our discovery will never attain knowledge. Will never attain truth. That's why the Tower of Babel is in there. You can't ascend to God okay so fine fine pastor since we can't ascend to God we can't know truth I'll make my own truth ah what John tells us is if you make your own truth the Victorian era said we know what purity is is that still what we believe today nope it's changed has it not drastically if you believed that truth is something you discover, could you find joy and happiness in today's culture with that same mentality? You couldn't. Your entire worldview has shifted. Your entire worldview has changed. Let me ask you this In 10 years, will the culture shift and radically change again? Yes, it will. Do I know what that is? No. Does anybody? No. It will, it will radically shift once more. Let me ask you this. What you believe and feel today, in 10 years from now, if somebody asked you to believe that same thing, would you be embarrassed to admit? Would you be embarrassed to admit that you believe full-heartedly today about something, about a subject, about anything? See, you will forever be finding and floundering for joy if you think you can reach it. Because the reality is, while many of you are very, very smart, smarter than me, we're not as smart as we'd like to think. We can't attain it, we're the Tower of Babel, we're trying to reach God and they'll ever come. And secondly, whatever you do adhere to now will change next year or in 10 years. Uh, I was meeting with Jonah this week and we were talking about there's two things that happen every single year and I don't know where it is, so all you medical people, you can help me out on this. What year do you all get together and decide to change this thing? Eggs. Every year, I read another report of why eggs are bad or good. And I don't know what month it happens. I don't know why you guys all get together and decide to change your mind. Don't eat eggs. It's bad for you. Next, if you don't eat four eggs a day, you're going to die. And I'm like, which one is it? (laughs) I can't keep up with this. And the second thing that happens all the time is scientists have revealed the missing link in the evolutionary chain. And every year, there's a new missing link. And I'm like, what? when can we finally just admit that we won't ever find the missing link that we'll always be searching? See, what I want to hope you leave today with is this. Joy comes by knowing what Christ reveals. Not what you can attain to, not what you can get to, and not what you create, but rather what Christ has already created and reveals to you. That's how you have joy. Joy comes by knowing what Christ reveals. And how can we see this? Joy is something we testify to, and joy is something that comes by God revealing it. Joy is testified to us, and Christ reveals the joy. What do I mean by that? In the first four verses of John, there's this incredible formula that happens. It's actually really repetitive. It's actually really redundant. If you read the first four verses of the, of the letter, it seems like there's a lot of commonality. It seems like John is just rambling on. And in fact, I think he kind of is. I think he really is because he really wants to hammer home a couple of points Now, it says in verse 4, I'm going to give you the secret to the entire book. If I was to tell you why the epistles of John were written, why 1 John in particular was written, it says in verse 4, that our joy may be complete. That's John's hope. John writes this and he says, I hope that our joy is made complete by everything I'm about to write to you, by everything you're about to hear and to read and to understand. I hope your joy, our joy is made complete. Now, there's a couple of really interesting aspects with that. First, he says, our joy. Do you notice that? He doesn't say, I hope your joy is complete. He doesn't say, I want to make my joy complete. He says, I hope, several, several times in a very, very short passage, I hope our joy, the things we have heard, the things we have seen, the testimony of Christ, our, it's communal all the way through. Because to John, how he understands joy, how he understands contentment, how he understands that long exhale of saying, oh, I don't have to work for goodness. Goodness has been brought to me, is first by knowing it's communal. It's with us. It's for all of us. Now, this is actually a really, 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 really big problem for us. When John says, I hope that our joy is complete, we have a very, very big problem. Because here is the Christian temptation, I think, a lot of times. John says it's communal and it's complete. Now, I got a quick question for you. Um, Is your life perfect? Now, if you were to answer, yes, it is, I, I have a couple of counselors I'd like you to speak to because there's a lot of delusion going on in your life. My life isn't perfect. Your life isn't perfect. Now, when we are faced with that, we have a couple of options. Option one is to basically do what I call silver lining theology. We say, well, my life isn't perfect, but it could be worse. I go, what? That, of course it could be worse. Yeah, you could not be living. Like, of course it can be worse. You're here talking to me. And we go, well, you know, I, I, it's not as bad as it wants. And actually, if whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. No, you could, you could really be badly hurt. To where you're not, my wife jokes with me all the time, I want a motorcycle so, so desperately. Uh, she has told me again and again, and that's never happening. And I joke, this is, I'm joking at this point, we're having a tongue-in-cheek conversation. I say, hey, if God wants to take me, he's going to take me if I'm on a motorcycle or not. And my wife says, yes, but you could also be on a ventilator for the rest of your life, and I'd have to take care of you. And I go, oh, you're right about that. It can get worse. Whatever doesn't kill you doesn't make you stronger. It can make you really weak. It can make you very, very paralyzed. It can make you have a worse life than you do. So what we do as Christians is either we say, "No, no, it's not as bad as it once," or we say this: oh, "I'm just waiting for heaven. Oh, I'm just when heaven comes, it's going to be glorious. It's going to be great. It's going to be fantastic." Do you know why that's a big problem as well? Because that's taking the world and the creative order that God gave you and creating it like some cosmic doctor's waiting room. You're just here for a little bit until the good stuff comes. What John says is the good stuff's here now. Your joy is complete now. Our joy is complete now. And that's wild to us. The kingdom of God is not what will come, but rather what is already here. See, this is, I think, one of the things that we miss joy out on a lot of times. As Christians, we think to ourselves, maybe you think this. Have you ever thought, well, if I, just, if I just had a better job, if I just had a better community, if I just lived in that neighborhood, if I just had a little bit more of an income, if so-and-so would marry me, my life would be so much better. Do you know what John says to that? Look, I haven't worked out all the Greek yet, but he basically says, liar. He basically says, that is a falsehood, that is a lie, that can't be true. Because if you base your happiness, your joy, your contentment on circumstances, do you know what happens to circumstances every single day of your life? They change every single day. If your contentment, if your joy, if your, ah, comes by what you get out of life, who you're with, who you're not with, changing your location, changing your city, changing your job, changing your title, changing your income. If that's your joy and contentment, you'll never be content. You'll never be content. Do you know how many lotto winners go bankrupt within the first two years of winning the lotto? Do you know how many NFL players that make millions and millions of dollars are now destitute financially? Do you know how many people that are powerful and well-known ruin their... Look, I'm going to pick on him because it's just so easy to. Tom Brady literally married a supermodel and is the most famous football player ever. And then decided, I want to go back and play football more. And his wife said, see ya, dude. And left him. And you look at Tom, you're like, Tom, what... Were you not happy? You had millions, you had a job, you had Super Bowl rings, no one's ever gonna touch your records. And what did he say? One more year. If you think to yourself, one more paycheck. One more kid. One, what's your one more that you're basing your contentment and joy on? Because what Paul, what I'm sorry, what John says is that's a lie. You'll never be content if what you are basing your joy on is circumstances. It must have already been done for you. Imagine if you would, since we all know our depravity, I'm just going to assume you know how deep and dark you are. Imagine if you had a warrant out for your arrest. Imagine it carried the death penalty. Now imagine you got word from somebody, you're hiding out in whatever small shack that you've made for yourself in the woods and you're hiding out, and word comes to you, and it says, hey, hey, don't worry. You've been pardoned of your crime. You can come back. You've been forgiven. All is made right. I got a trick question for you. Would you say, oh, great, fantastic. Let me come back to the city. I'm not a lawyer, but let me give you legal advice, <laughs> because it doesn't matter. It's not even legal. Get that in writing now. Now. If somebody came to you and said, hey, don't worry, you're forgiven. Don't worry, everything's fine. You're pardoned. Come on back. You would not go. You would not walk into the police station and say, hey, I'm here. Because they would say, gotcha. What would you need? You would need a signed document from the governor, from the president, president pardoning you of your crimes. Would you not? And then, then, if you had that in your hand, as John says, my goal is to make your joy complete. And your joy is not based upon circumstances. It has to be rooted in something that has already been done. See, we may believe lies like, um, if you're a musical fan, the sun will come up tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow there will be sun. Annie was wrong. (laughs) She was. (laughs) Because I don't know that the sun's going to come out tomorrow. I don't know if it's going to be better tomorrow. As a matter of fact, your life could get worse tomorrow and the next day, and the next day. And if your joy is based upon circumstances, your happiness and everything else will continue to decline. But what if I told you that instead of looking for tomorrow to bring you joy, what if I was to tell you that joy is testified to us as something that's already happened? See, if you're out in the wilderness and you're hiding from the the authorities because of the crime that you committed, you won't come out of hiding. You won't expose, you won't be part of the community again if there's still a chance that the hope might not come until tomorrow, if the police chief said, Don't worry, the paperwork's on its way, <laughs> the check's in the mail. The check is not in the mail. <laughs> They're lying to you. I need the check in my hand. I need, the, I need the pardon slip in my hand. And if it's in my hand, if I have that pardon slip, do you know what I do? I, I'm free. I get to come back into community. I get to come be with people again. Why? Because you can't touch me. What John sets up, as he keeps on saying time and time again, our joy is made complete by what we have seen and what we have heard, by a past action that has already been done, not a guarantee in the future. Your joy must be rooted, church. Church. If you're a Christian, your joy is rooted on this fact and this fact alone. Christ has already died, has already risen, has already paid your debt, and there's no more debt to be paid. He didn't just die for the sins you've already committed. He died for the sins that you've yet to commit. Think about that for a second. Imagine that for a second. The most assured, the most confident, the most content people on the planet know that there's nothing they can do in the future. Those in Christ that will ever, ever, ever mean Christ is done with them. Isn't that incredible? He didn't just die for your past sins. He died for your future sins that you don't even know about yet. Do you know what that does to you as a person once you know that somebody can't leave you nor forsake you? Why, when we get married, do we say, okay, we're making a covenant for what's going to come in sickness and health, better or worse? Why do we make those? Because we know it's going to get a lot worse. I know, right? I'm I'm a silly romantic at heart, guys pray for my wife. (laughs) We know it's going to, but how good is it that you can look to somebody and say, Christ looks at you and says, the sins that you will commit, I've already forgiven. You don't need to repay them. You don't need to work for it. You don't need to keep up pretenses. I've already died for them. That'll make you joyful. That'll make you content. That'll make your joy complete, as John says. The first thing is our joy is testified to, not what will be, what what already has. It's news, not speculation. Do you get that? The gospel is news, not opinion, not an op-ed, and not speculation, not forecasting what the stock market's going to do tomorrow based upon the pound and inflation. T's and P's to all you in the financial sector. Good night. But rather, my bedrock of faith is on what Christ has already done, not what he will do. That's the first point. The second point is this. Joy is revealed to us. John says we testify to this joy. It's something we already know, something we already have, something that we already do, but rather, and it's something that is already revealed to us. It's not something that we have to think about. It's not something that we have to fight through. Christ reveals himself to us. We don't reveal ourselves to him. Now, I already talked about the Tower of Babel being something that we tried to aspire to, God, and God said, You won't be able to. Let me put it this way. If I was to ask you, How in the world could you make a plan to forgive all people of all time of all of their sin once and for all? Do you know what we would never, ever do? We would never, ever, ever create Christ. We would never contemplate that the Son of Man, God himself, would have to come down incarnate and die for you and I to absolve our sin and actually fulfill all the prophecies of the Old Testament. We'd never do it. We would come up with some program. We'd come up with some reward system or punishment system to make the world a better place. To correct people. Behavioral edification. Works righteousness. We would do that. All day long. Christ didn't do works righteousness. We testify to something that he revealed to us that we don't ascend to him and we don't create for ourselves. Now, there's a lot that can be unpacked about that and we will unpack it throughout 1 John, but I want to just tell you this. I want to actually get to a heart of a matter that's very, very practical for you. Since joy is revealed to us, we can't attain it and we can't create it. It must be given to us Stop trying to find it. Like, wow, really encouraging, really uplifting, really aspirational, I appreciate that. Joy is not something you can aspire to. Joy isn't even something that you can gain on your own. There are no ten steps to being a joyful person. You can't manifest it, you can't meditate it, you can't do anything to attain it. But you can know it by presence in your life. You can sense when you are joyful. You can know when you're becoming more assured of Christ's love for you based upon how you act with the world. But you cannot attain it. You cannot race for it. You cannot grasp it. Uh, there's this, I'm old. I like the, the TV show Seinfeld. It's the greatest sitcom ever created in the entire world. <laughs> And there's this scene in it in which one of the characters' father is is a very angry, angry man, and he's he's very upset all the time. And he comes up with this saying that's supposed to release tension, and he's supposed to say this phrase, "Wusa." He's supposed to say "Wusa" and say it over and over and over and over again. It's supposed to alleviate his tension. And it doesn't alleviate anything. <laughs> it does nothing for him. He keeps on saying "Wusa, Wusa, Wusa," and he gets angrier and angrier and angrier. We come up with little projects to try to make ourselves joyful, to try to our, make ourselves peaceful. And the fact of the matter is, each time you try to work towards it, you will at some point lose all of that homeostasis reality. You will lose the equilibrium of that ecosystem. Why? Because ecosystems are always in flux. You can try to say to yourself, well, I, I need to find joy by, by meditating how long? Do you need more meditation when things get worse? Do you meditate and do you just keep it plateauing forever? Because if you and I have any understanding of how the world and the cosmic reality works is that things are not in a status of plateauing ever. Uh, I'm again to the age now where if I don't, I, I, there's, you know, Jewel right down the street from me, and I think to myself, oh, I need to pick up something really quick. I'll just, I'll, 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 get in the car really quick, and I'll hop down there and do it. No, I need to walk to get it because <laughs> I need those calories burned. If I don't burn those calories, they're going to stay with me. I'm to that point. I, my body is not in a state of, well, I've reached here. I'm Now just let's keep it. Let's maintain it. You can't maintain your ecosystem. It's always evolving. It's always changing. It's always in flux. We need something that's revealed to us, not something that we work towards. Because if we work towards it, do you know what that means? Church, if you work for something, do you know what that also means about your faith? You can lose it. Do you realize that? If you work for joy, you can lose your joy. And what does Christ say? You can't lose my joy. If you work for your salvation, do you know what also you can do to your salvation? Lose your salvation. So Christ says, it's not based upon what you do, it's based upon what I do. Do you see? Church, the only way that you can be joyful is not by creating it, not by chasing it, not by creating systems of a 10-step program, but rather by witnessing the fruit of your connection to Christ. Ah. So if you have a 10-step program to find joy, can I give you a gentle encouragement? Throw it away. Crumple it up and toss it. Because if that's how you achieved it, you can lose it. And what John says is, no, 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 no. I want your joy to be complete. Not one day, hopefully, not by what you do and not by what you create, but rather joy comes by the testimony of what Christ has revealed to you and I. So, since I'm telling you don't aspire, don't create steps to joy, I want you to ask yourself a question. I want you to say, how do I know that I have joy? That'd be a good question, right? You should ask yourself, how do I know I have joy? What does the Bible? What does John tell me about joy? Let me show you. I got four simple ones for you. One, you're hard to offend. Two, circumstances don't toss you around. Three, you repent easily. And four, you receive praise easily. Let me try to unpack those. One, you don't find offense easily. Christians should be the most unoffendable people on the entire planet. Do you know why? What can you say about me that Christ doesn't speak above you? What could you say about me? <laughs> First of all, what can you say that I haven't heard already? I've heard it all. You can't say anything worse than what I've heard. And even if you did, so what? So what? I got the cosmic savior of all eternity telling me that he loves me. What can you do to take that down? See, if you are offended, if you do take offense, if you're, if you're pierced and hurt by things to the point where you're undone. Now, please be pierced and hurt. That's, that's human nature. We're not perfect. We're not these supermen and women. But if you're undone by what somebody thinks or says about you, You care far too much about what they think, and you don't care enough about what God has already said about you. Christians should be unoffendable. Should be. How do you know you're getting there? Because each and every day, you don't take offense. When people lie to you, you go, "Oh yeah, that's kind of par for the course. I get it. We're liars. We are liars. When people offend you when they say something, you go, yeah, that that makes sense. When we're pricked as people, we, we lash out. Okay, I get it. You don't take it offensively because you know Christ Almighty is speaking such praise upon you. Secondly, you can't be tossed around by circumstances because your joy is already made complete. You're already forgiven of every crime you've ever committed in your entire life. What could change about your circumstances to take that away? Nothing. You have diplomatic immunity, not to sin. Don't think that but you have immunity to not ever, ever be condemned by anything, any circumstances ever again. Your joy is complete. No circumstances can toss you about. Thirdly, you repent easily, knowing that every single thing you will do and have done has already been forgiven by God the Father. If you don't repent easily, do you know what you're trying to do? Trying to keep appearances up. Why? Because your appearance is your joy. And if you were slandered, if you were hit, if your name was something different, you wouldn't be the same anymore. Um, I, I used to be a very, very early riser. Uh, and the more that I have lived life with kids and my wife is a night person, she was a night person. We have flipped. I used to be the morning person. She was night. and Now I'm the night. She's the morning person. And I used to be known as the guy that would wake up every single day at like 5, 5.30 and get the day going. So I went to my, I I would go to friends and I'd visit them and I'd say, you know, hey, where's your coffee in the morning? And they'd always say, oh "Oh, yes, I forgot, you're the early riser. And now I wake up far later in my life, but do you know what I didn't correct them on? I didn't say, well actually, I'd I'd probably wake up the same time you do now. Why? Because I kind of liked having an identity that was the early riser. (laughs) I wanted their approval, not God's approval in that moment. You should be able to admit your faults knowing that whatever comes out about who you are is already accepted by God the Father and there's nothing anybody can change about that. When John says, we want our joy made to be complete by based upon what we've seen and heard about Christ, that's what he means. You repent easily. And lastly, you receive praise easily because you hear praise all the time from God the Father. Church, have you read the scriptures about what God says about you? I think a lot of what's happening within our culture, within our society, within our community, within our church, within our hearts recently has to do a lot with we are desperately seeking for approval and we can't find it anywhere. So we created ourselves. And then when that thing is attacked, we defend, we fight. It's fight or flight and we come out guns blazing against it. Uh, I have children, so I apologize if this does not hit, but the it's still there, okay? There's this book called Are You My Mother? It's this little tiny book. There's this little bird who falls out of a tree and goes up to animals all the time and says, Are you my mother? And the crocodile's like, no. The dog says, No. The cat says, No. And the bird finally finds mother and says, Are you my mother? Mama says, Yes, I am. Do you know what I think what you and I do constantly in our lives? We're going around to every single thing and saying, Will you bring me joy? And the world says, I can't. Will you bring me joy, physique? You'll get old. And your physique will fail. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I'm testifying right now. (laughs) Money. Oh, money. By my work performance. Again, I said this. AI is coming for you. You'll be out of a job very soon. Okay. Are you my mother at work? Nope. Are you my mother, physique? Nope. Are you my mother, health? Nope. I think time and time again, we need to hear from God the Father that says, I'm your joy. I'm your father. I'm your parent. Please come to me to get the hope and the joy that you need constantly to live because you can't live knowing that you're not good. You'll be crushed under that. So stop going elsewhere. Instead, come to me. That's what God the Father says. Stop believing you're made good based upon what you do and hear the words of Christ." Pour over you today, church, on the cross, Christ cried out and he said, It is finished. You don't have to work for his love or you don't have to work for your joy. Don't aspire to it. Don't clamor for it. Don't climb to it. It won't ever happen because it'll leave. Circumstances change. But do you know who has never changed ever? God's love for you and I. That has never changed and never will. And that you can live life with can't you you could live life knowing that you can you can face anything knowing that and then here's the second thing that you can face knowing you have a whole community of people that believe the same exact thing as you there's this tree it's the largest tree in the entire world in Utah it covers 106 acres it's one tree it's a quaking aspen this quaking aspen has shoots all over the place And each shoot is connected to the same exact tree. And they communicate with each other all the time. And the tree knows when there are bugs eating one side of it and will send resources to that side. Sugar and water and and life. Because the tree is in constant community of its knowledge together of the joy that it has. You are connected to Christ intrinsically. You are not out on an island on your own. Your circumstances don't dictate you. You are with him and with us as a church. Make your joy complete by knowing that and receiving the nutrients from God the Father who's always with you. Let's pray. Thanks for tuning in to this week's COTV Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us, you can visit us online at cotv.life. God bless and have a great week.